Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be a discussion about 3 Nephi chapter 6. So the Nephites have destroyed the Gadianton robbers. The Nephites have peace. They are enjoying things, and uh, things are going pretty well. We have an interruption by Mormon who explains the plates that are being used uh, to write upon, and uh, he bears testimony about the gathering of Israel in the last days. So now we're going to get into chapter 6. And now it came to pass that the people of the Nephites did all return to their own lands in the 20 and 6th year, every man with his family his flocks and his herds, his horses and his cattle, and all things whatsoever did belong unto them. And it came to pass that they had not eaten up all their provisions, therefore they did take with them all that they had not devoured, of all their grain of every kind, and their gold and their silver, I hope they didn't eat their gold and silver, and all their precious things, and they did return to their own lands and their possessions, both on the north and on the south, both on the land northward and on the land southward. And they granted unto those robbers who had entered into a covenant, they show mercy to their former enemies, don't they? To keep the peace of the land, who were desirous to remain Lamanites, lands according to their numbers, that they might have with their labors wherewith to subsist upon. And thus they did establish peace in all the land. So now the Gadian robbers are not using plunder as their main source of income, but they're growing crops themselves. Good for them. Verse 4, And they began again to prosper and to wax great in the twenty and sixth year and twenty and seventh year past passed away, and there was great order in the land, and they had formed their laws according to equity and justice. Among the Lord's people, equity and justice always must prevail. All who are or who can be called saints must learn to live in a state of equality one with another. Describing such a state, the Lord spoke to our generation, saying, In your temporal things you shall be equal, and this not grudgingly, otherwise the abundance of the manifestations of the Spirit shall be withheld. For if ye are not equal in earthly things, ye cannot be equal in obtaining heavenly things. That was by Bruce, uh, that was by Millet McConkie. Verse 5, And now there was nothing in all the land to hinder the people from prospering continually, except they should fall into transgression. Joseph Smith said, No unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing. Persecutions may rage, mobs may combine, armies may assemble, calumny may defame. But the truth of God will go forth boldly, nobly, and independent, till it has penetrated every continent, visited every clime, swept every country, and sounded in every ear, till the purposes of God shall be accomplished, and the great Jehovah shall say, The work is done. I've often wondered why that's not in our scriptures. Verse 6, And now it was Gid-Gadoni and the judge Laconius and those who had been appointed leaders who had established this great peace in the land. And it came to pass that there were many cities built anew, and there were many old cities repaired, and, they were, and there were many highways cast up, and many roads made, which led from city to city, and from land to land, and from place to place. And thus passed away the twenty and eighth year, and the people had continual peace. But it came to pass in the twenty and ninth year, I hate it when it says but because there's something going on here, there began to be some disputings among the people. Oh no, here we go again. This is only three years after they had established peace too. Darn. And some were lifted up unto pride and boastings because of their exceedingly, exceedingly great riches, yea, even unto great persecutions. Darn it. It is difficult to read this chapter without a strong feeling that this part of Nephite history is being recounted as a warning to us of the last days. That's by Millet McConkie. 
for there were many merchants in the land and also many lawyers and many officers. This verse, a brief characterization of the economic system of the day, may also be a warning for our own. Perhaps Mormons sought to warn us of the perils of a society which does not strike the needed balance between production and supervision. Notice the, that he mentions here merchants and lawyers and officers. Uh, there's lots of people that the government keeps getting bigger and bigger, and that's not a good thing because it just ends up being bureaucratic in nature and not productive. Verse 12, And the people began to be distinguished by ranks according to their riches and their chances for learning. Yea, some were ignorant because of their poverty, and others did receive great learning because of their riches. The spirit and warning of this verse is distinctly relevant to our day. Education, like the priesthood, is a blessing of God given to his servants that they might reach out and lift and exalt others. It is no less congruent for the educated to despise the unlearned than it is for those who hold the priesthood or spurn and disdain those who do not hold that sacred authority. The priesthood can be magnified only as it is used to lift and bless others. To attempt to hoard the blessings of the priesthood or to revel in an office or calling is to lose the authority and power of that priesthood. So it is with education. <clears throat> to fail to use it properly and providently to the edification and blessing of others is to become narrow and ignorant. That was by Millet McConkie. Robert Heilbronner said, No other civilization has permitted the calculus of self-interest so to dominate its culture. It has transmogrified greed and philistinism into social virtues and subordinated all values to commercial values. Uh, that was quoted by Hugh Nibley as well. Joseph Smith said, or Joseph Smith had been careful to avoid emphasis on rank among the members of the church. Although he was the greatest prophet of this dispensation and arguably the greatest prophet ever, excepting Jesus Christ, he was known simply as Brother Joseph. Some of us may mock our brother because he has a lesser occupational, civic, or ecclesiastical standing. King Benjamin got to the core of the matter when he observed, And I, even I, whom ye call your king, am no better than ye yourselves are, for I am also of the dust. If King Benjamin were clear with respect to the occupational and civic areas, Joseph Smith was crystal clear about ecclesiastical condescension. If a high priest comes along and goes to snub either of them in their presidency because they are 70s, let them knock the man's teeth down his throat, I mean spiritually. That was Joseph Smith. He even applied the same standard to himself. Many persons think a prophet must be a great deal better than anybody else. Suppose I would condescend, yea, yes, I will call it condescend, to be a great deal better than any of you. I would be raised up to the highest heaven, and who, would, who should I have to accompany me? I do not want you to think that I am very righteous, for I am not. God judges men according to the use they make of the light which he gives them. Men are not chosen for privilege, but for their capacity to bless others. The Spirit moved President John Taylor to write, Our Heavenly Father is desirous to promote the happiness and welfare of the whole of the human family. And if we, any of us, hold any priesthood, it is simply for that same purpose and not for our personal aggrandizement or for our own honor or pomp or position. But we hold it in the interest of God and for the salvation of the people, that through it, we may promote their happiness, blessing, and prosperity, temporal and spiritual, both here and in the world to come. Verse 13, some were lifted up in pride. Uh, we've read about pride before. Um, C.S. Lewis said that pride gets no pleasure out of possessing something, but possessing more of it than the next man. And then President Benson also quotes a lot about pride and the evils of pride. Uh, continuing verse 13, and others were exceedingly humble. Some did return railing for railing. Although most of us don't have to deal with persecution, we are often provoked by small things, rudeness, nagging, disobedience, waiting, 
Disagreements, disappointment, and unfulfilled expectations can irritate us, particularly when we are tired, sick, or in a hurry. At such times, our first impulse may be to react with irritation, anger, or contention, but we can choose to react instead with charity and not be easily provoked. We can turn the other cheek and respond with patience and kindness. How do we develop a spirit of charity that keeps us from being provoked? One approach is to concentrate on ways to control our anger or impatience. Taking a deep breath and stopping to think for a moment before speaking sometimes helps. Getting in the habit of returning good for evil drains the heart of anger. By learning to avoid contention and to control our anger, we stop evil from being passed along and become more like the Savior whose sacrifice of self made eternal life possible for all who come unto him and emulate his example. Continuing verse 13, while others would receive railing and persecution and all manner of afflictions and would not turn and revile again, but were humble and penitent before God. These are true saints. And thus there became a great inequality in all the land, insomuch that the church began to be broken up, yea, insomuch that in the 30th year, oh, if they could only have waited another four years, huh? In the 30th year of the church, the church was broken up in all the land, save it were among a few of the Lamanites who were converted unto the true faith, and they would not depart from it. For they were firm and steadfast and immovable, willing with all diligence to keep the commandments of the Lord. President Kimball once said that the Lamanites, once they get converted, they stick to it. Now the cause of this inequality of the people was this. Satan had great power unto the stirring up of the people to do all manner of iniquity, and to the puffing them up with pride and tempting them to seek for power and authority and riches and the vain things of the world. This seems to describe our society very well. We seek riches, power, and the vain things of the world. And thus Satan did lead away the hearts of the people to do all manner of iniquity. Therefore they had enjoyed peace but a few years. And thus in the commencement of the 30th year, the people having been delivered up for the space of a long time to be carried about by the temptations of the devil, whithersoever he desired to carry them and to do whatsoever iniquity he desired they should. And thus in the commencement of this, the 30th year, they were in a state of awful wickedness. Neil Maxwell said, this people actually lost both personal and social control as these words vividly portray. And thus in the commencement of the 30th year, the people having delivered up for the space of a long time. We often let the adversary do indirectly now what we refuse to let him do directly then. Thus we can expect no immunity from either trial or temptation because these are the common lot of mankind. Mortality without the dimension of temptation or trial would not be full proving. It would be a school with soft credits and no hard courses. These features of mortality were among the very conditions we agreed to before we undertook this mortal experience. We cannot renege on that commitment now. Verse 18, now they did not sin ignorantly, for they knew the will of God concerning them, for it had been taught unto them, therefore they did willfully rebel against God. There's a difference between weakness and rebellion. Weakness is easily forgiven, but rebellion is not. Verse 19, and now it was in the days of Laconius, the son of Laconius, for Laconius did fill the seat of his father and did govern the people that year. And there began to be men inspired from heaven and sent forth, standing among the people in all the land, preaching and testifying boldly of the sins and iniquities of the people, and testifying unto them concerning the redemption which the Lord would make for his people, or in other words, the, the resurrection of Christ, and they did testify boldly of his death and sufferings. Whenever people begin to go astray from God, from God there will always be prophets to warn them. God would rather have his children repent than to be destroyed. Also, the Holy Ghost goes, goes to us or comes to us or the light of Christ and tells us when we're going astray. We need to pay attention.
Verse 21, now there were many of the people who were exceedingly angry because of those who testified of these things, even though they knew the prophets spoke the truth. And those who were angry were chiefly the chief judges, and they who had been high priests and lawyers. They, all those who were lawyers were angry, and those who testified of these things. Sounds a lot like our day, doesn't it? Now there was no lawyer, nor judge, nor high priest that could have power to condemn anyone to death, save their condemnation was signed by the governor of the land. Now there were many of those who testified of the things pertaining to Christ who testified boldly, who were taken and put to death secretly by the judges, that the knowledge of their death came not unto the governor of the land until after their death. Now behold, this was contrary to the laws of the land, that any man should be put to death, except they had power from the governor of the land. Therefore a complaint came up unto the land of Zarahemla, to the governor of the land against these judges who had condemned the prophets of the Lord unto death, not according to the law. Now it came to pass that they were taken and brought up before the judge to be judged of the crime which they had done, according to the law which had been given by the people. Now it came to pass that those judges had many friends and kindreds, and the remainder, yea, even almost all the lawyers and the high priests, did gather themselves together and unite with the kindreds of those judges who were to be tried according to the law. And they did enter into a covenant one with another, yea, even into that covenant which was given of them by them of old, which covenant was given and administered by the devil to combine against all righteousness. Maybe these are those that had been Gadianton robbers before, who were breaking their covenant of peace and starting up again where they left off. We need to combine against all wickedness. Verse 29, Therefore they did combine against the people of the Lord and enter into a covenant to destroy them and to deliver those who were guilty of murder from the grasp of justice, which was about to be administered according to the law. And they did set at defiance the law and the rights of their country. And they did covenant one with another to destroy the governor and to establish a king over the land, that the land should no more be at liberty, but should be subject unto kings. So we have this problem here that uh, they've kind of broken up the government or starting to anyway. I bear testimony that these things are true and that as we pay attention to these verses that this might help us understand what's going to happen in the last days prior to the second coming so that we might be prepared ourselves. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Talk to you later. Bye.